conversation is about to begin. Get ready to engage in an honest conversation, brewed with heart and soul, and a dash of magic. Welcome to the Cauldron Podcast. Hi, welcome back for another week of the Cauldron Podcast. It's me, Danielle. And this week, I sit with my new friend, Lisa Roseman, and we talk about Lisa's book, The Highest of Care, A Journey Through Cancer, and her story being the caregiver to her mother who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And it's a really heartfelt book. It's a really beautiful tribute to her mother's life and the story of their struggles, the mother-daughter relationship, a terminal diagnosis within a family, but how they both relied on their faith to help support them and carry them through this most, most difficult time. Lisa's brilliant and her book is just fascinating and so relatable on so many levels. Check out Lisa's website at thehighestofcare.com to learn more about Lisa, about her mom, and you can purchase her book on her. Hi, welcome back for another episode. It's me, Danielle, and I'm here with my newest friend, Lisa uh, Roseman, who has written a beautiful book called The Highest of Care. And hi, Lisa, welcome to the platform. How are you? I'm good, Danielle. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks so much for joining me. It's just such a pleasure to be able to speak with you again. Um, How has it been since the release of your new book? Congratulations on your book, by the way. And how has your journey been since you released it? Well, if you can imagine a a rocket train um, at the station and then it all of a sudden goes and I'm kind of hanging on. um, It seems like everybody who either reads the book or watches the, the video that will um, share here in a minute on where you can find it. Everyone's interested in uh, not only what my journey was with my mom caregiving for her, but also the miracle that happened with her life. So the trains left the station <laughs> and yeah. I'm hanging on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what, after reading your book, I can, I can understand wholeheartedly why it's so needed right now in so many people's lives. It was really such a beautiful story. It's painful, a very painful story, but such a beautiful way that you could honor and pay tribute to such a beautiful life of your mother. Um, Starting back, let's start back at the very beginning because there was, I made some notes from the book as well. Um, So I'm kind of going to intercept some of the things, but I want you to take us along on your journey. So at, from the very beginning, because when you were in California and your mom was in Arizona and you were making a trip out to see your mom, you didn't know she was sick at that time. That's right. You had known that she had some pain in her leg, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. so you were just going out for just a visit to go and see her, have a visit with your mom. Yes, she had told me for about two weeks that she was having trouble walking. And when she wasn't able to go to work, I knew something was going on. My mom was working up into her 70s. So uh, there was nothing that could keep her home. She was a driven person. And for her not to be able to work, I knew that she needed my help, but I had no idea what it was. And you speak a lot about your relationship with your mom. Take us, take us on that path, Lisa, because I, after, in reading the book, I could relate to a lot. But you had a very tumultuous relationship with your mom. You butt, butted heads with your mom. Um, and I 
do not believe it was just at this time. You had a prior, you have a prior relationship with your mom and you spoke about in your book about a time period when you didn't speak for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I can say that when things were good with my mom, they were amazing. And when they were terrible, they were horrible. So we kind of had a, the pendulum was wide swinging and so my mom and I, we had just reconciled after a two and a half year hiatus uh, that she had come back into my life. I initiated reconciliation. She helped me through my degree. Um, she helped me write papers for my master's degree. We had that closeness for a few years and it was good. There was always an underlying thing with my mom of a lot of stress, um, post-traumatic stress is what I would call that. And so I was always the one trying to manage that for her. When she was able to come out and be with me, it kind of set that aside and we were able to ease into just enjoying each other. Pardon me. Sorry, Danielle. I'm You're, right. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> there it is. Bless you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank God for editing. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, So in our times together, they were wonderful. But then when things got uh, disconnected, then we had to sometimes take those breaks where there was a time where we wouldn't be speaking, which was hard for me. But at the same time, I knew that it was best for me. I'm going to quote something from your book that I want you to talk about a little bit more. Um, you had said, much of my worth as a daughter was based on how well my mom was doing. And at times, I felt it was my responsibility to save her from herself. Those patterns of codependency were deeply rooted in the tapestry of my life. It was all I knew. And while it was not healthy, it was my reality. Hmm. There it is. (laughs) Yes. I learned codependency from a very young age with my mom. I was raised by her a single parent, and my job was to rescue her from herself, from the world. And so in that place, I developed a lot of fear and anxiety about her well-being. So that went on my entire life. That never really changed. Um, Being a couple of states apart, as far as location, it kind of helped because it took away um, the anxiety that I had because I had to let go and let her do what she needed to do. But my mom had some very uh, difficult times in her life where I was the rescuer. I had to go in and and make it better. So that's what I learned Um, that codependent where as long as she was okay, my world was good. But if she wasn't, my world was not good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no siblings. There was no. You don't have any siblings that are part of the picture. I did have. Uh, well, I still do have an older sister. We've not had contact for decades, and so there was a little bit of um, trouble in that area, and so a lot of chaos. I had a lot of chaos growing up, which made it even more important for me to make sure that my mom was was okay. I, I watched her struggle quite a bit and um, learned that. The world wasn't a safe place when I was a child because of the chaos that was all around me. And no father present. Your mom, no your father. mom raised you as a single parent. 
Yes. My dad left when I, when my mom was five months pregnant. So he came back around when I was 18 months old and uh, my mom saw that he was on drugs and struggling and she told him you can't be in her life in the state. So you need to go and get well. And he, he didn't come back. (laughs) And you haven't had contact since. I did. I met him when I was 18 years old. And by then he was so, his body was really broken down from years of drug abuse. Mm -hmm. And he passed away, I think I was in my 40s. So there was a few years of connection just through letters, but um, the, the drugs and alcohol took a toll on him. It was then that I was thankful for my mom because she did protect me from that world that he was in. Yeah. So I I found appreciation for that because if it wouldn't have been there and she would have exposed me to that, it probably would have been a lot harder. You, uh, your strength is all the way reading in our connection and our new, this newfound relationship that we have. I'm continually just amazed by the strength that you have in your story. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So now that we've got the foundation and a little bit more of a background, now you arrive in Arizona Mm -hmm. and you see your mom Mm -hmm. and I don't want our listeners to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about all of the book. I want to, I want the listeners to be able to be on their own path with your book as well. But the journey that you had with your mom in, you know, in such a short period of time, because you were only there to go on a holiday to see your mom and what transpired during that time of the testing, your mom's Mm -hmm. real resistance to having tests done to the acceptance of what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, You packing up your mother's belongings in her house, you bringing her back to be with you. I was just, uh, I was, I was just drawn to your story at that time. And all I kept thinking was Lisa, like, how are you managing during this time? And it's like, you were an autopilot and there was so many key points in that time that really took me back and the responsibility that you had to take in help and in communicating and being the middle person between medical personnel and test results and telling your mom, you know, and, and, and giving her results and being compassion and communicating with her. I was just really taken aback by how much rested on your shoulders during that time and how you handled it and how you expressed it so well in your book as part of your journey. Wow. Thank you so much. The way that I was able to navigate through it was only with God. Uh, I didn't have the strength to carry the burden. And so it was just me helping her, but she wasn't in it with me. So her resistance to everything, including, um, you know, what to eat. It was just, there was, everything was no, everything was, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But yet I could see that things were developing that things were not fine. No, and quickly, and, <laughs> and quickly go spiraling down, like very quickly right. in time for right. you to have, you've pivoted your life. In those moments, you had to pivot the direction of your life personally mm-hmm. and make choices for the both of you. Yes. And at times I would question, and I even shared this in the book, I thought, am I in the twilight zone? What happened? I was just graduating from school. I was getting ready to go into one direction. All of a sudden, I'm on a whole different path. And I've got a mother who didn't really have health 
issues in her life to all of a sudden something that's coming down the road that is incredibly huge. And so there's a time frame around this whole story of getting her moved. And there's so many moving parts that I'm trying to figure out what to do. And she's not in it with me. So I share in the book how that was for me. You know, how is it when I felt like I was battling her disease rather than she taking part of it at least a little bit and then being in it with me. So the teamwork wasn't there. And in the meantime, there were things that needed to get done. There were timelines. There were things that uh, dates that were coming as far as moving and different things like that. So um, I felt like I had been transported into another person's life and I had no idea how to navigate in some of those places. And I could feel that in your book. You really, every corner that you took was something new and you had to make decisions in an instant and learn along the way and, and to absorb your own grieving process of what was happening. Yes. So the roles between you and your mother switched very quickly. You became mm-hmm. the adult. You made the decisions, but you gave her such beautiful space. And I love that throughout the entire book and in your entire journey, right up until the very end, you gave her permission to be her, to live her life, to make decisions. And you respected the battle that she was having internally. And I can't imagine that at times, the arguing, the frustration that would happen on your side Mm -hmm. in watching this unfold. Yes, uh, there's a part of me that's a peacemaker. So I don't want to tango in that area, especially with my mom. I had compassion because she got a pretty large diagnosis. And when that comes down the road, the reality of it is the balance that I had to find of, look, we got to get stuff done, but also the compassion of, gosh, she feels horrible. Like, you know, all of her symptoms and things that were coming uh, with this progression of, of her disease. So I had to find ways to navigate. And I'll always go back to the God part because without him, you know, I share testimonies throughout the story of in my, in my moments where I was the weakest and, and, and needed the most breakthrough from God, that's where he showed up. And so those testimonies and those moments where, um, for example, you know, the, the place where God says, I have you, you know, you can't do it alone, but I'm with you. And if you lean on me and, and let me do that, then I'll help you get through it. And so those were my, my posts where I could continue to say, okay, God, even reflecting back, well, you did it then you did that. In my life before, you, you've been there here. So it was something that I could build on. But in the midst of it all, I was really a mess. I, I, I was, the beginning was very difficult. I, I didn't know which way was up. And I, at times, I didn't know how to help her. And so it was exas- exacerbating and frustrating. And, um, but still, I had to the roles did change. I became almost like a mother where she became the child. Mm -hmm. And that was hard for me because as a daughter, I'm like, but wait, am I the daughter? Am I the mother? Am I the caregiver? Like, what am I? And where am I? And 
how do I navigate through what I know is coming? Yeah, what you know is coming. Well, how do I prepare for yeah. what's coming? And I love the support that you had from the hospice, like from the volunteers. And there was a big thing that happened in your book because all along it's this really beautiful flowy story. And then it came to a really abrupt stop. And you spoke about how one of the caregivers who was there to support you gave you her phone number and said, contact me whenever you need, whenever you need me, contact me. And you did. And she never reached out to you and then actually came back and was upset because, you know, you had reached out to her and it was a holiday and you made a note right then and there in the book to say to anybody reading, if this has happened to you, there is ways to get around it. There is, you know, there's, there's ways in which to deal with this and there's other ways that you can move past that because you know you've relied on somebody to come and help you and they've been and they're they're they've got an outpouring of love and support and you do reach out to them and they turn their back on you and how that must have felt because you're literally in the throes of a war by yourself and trying to make these decisions and I was really thankful that you received like Jamie and you know I became part of this book and this journey with you it was you know as a reader and on this side going through, I related some of the things that are happening in my life. And I'm so blessed that my mother is not having a a terminal illness, but something happened on the weekend and you were in my head. And my mom, I, my mom lives in another town and I talked to her and she said, I've got to tell you something. And I was like, and my mom's 79. And I was like, Oh, okay. What's happening? She's like, I fell and I broke my wrist. And my first instinct is panic and worry and care. And, you know, normally I would be almost taking on that role of the adult. Like, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? And you need to go slower. And, you know, you're rushing through life. But all I kept saying to her is, mom, I'm here to support you any way that I can. This is your life. And these are your decisions. I wish that you would go a little bit slower in your days and write things down. So you're not fully occupied all the time with thoughts in your head, but I'm here to support you. And you were in my head because as I said, that before that, before I read the book, I've been like, what the heck are you doing, mom? Like I would have been all over her and I would have tried to change her and almost, you know, made her feel bad. You know, and that wasn't my case. I had to step back and be and in and you in my head and reading your book and just that journey that you took, I just separated and I just allowed space to be like, I'm here for you, mom. How can I support you? You're hurt. I'm sorry you're hurt, but I'm here to help you. How can I best support you? And I was so thankful for you and for your presence in that exact moment because it's not easy. You know, and especially as we have aging parents and we are going through transition on so many levels. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Okay, so now let's go back to the book. That was just a side note. So let's go back to the book. So I'm kind of racing all over the place here. So it will come together, but that's kind of the way that my mind works. You've now ended up in California and you've got your mom set up and the journey on that. You know, it was kind of like the beginning was until you got to California, it was being really reactive to the news that you received and to your mom's inevitable, you know, resulting or what was going to happen to her life, the news that you got. Yeah. So then, oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. 
Well, that's a good point that you bring up, Danielle, because when a parent gets a diagnosis, you know, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And by the time they found it, it was already stage four. She didn't want to know. She told me, don't even tell me. And so what I feel like people need to understand is when a loved one gets a diagnosis, it almost feels like you get it too. Mm -hmm. Because you're finding out new information and something, especially with this cancer thing of, well, your loved one has cancer and you're going, what? Like, how could this be? Mm -hmm. And then it's almost like you're going through it as well. When you have a parent who is in denial, who doesn't want to know test results or talk to doctors, that put me in a place where I had to be the one receiving the news without her there. When I read so, that, that was a tough one for me. And I, and I, and you said that, you know, how you just sat in the car and you just wept. And I was just like, I, I, I put myself into that position, but I could, there's nothing that would have had me feeling the emotions that you did during that time and would have prepared you for that. Not only are you hearing this, the results and the, um, the diagnosis from the doctor, but now you got to go tell your mom because of her resistance, her denial, and her not wanting to know. And now you're put in that position. Right. And I honored it. She didn't want to know. So I didn't tell her. She, that's what she asked for. And she was adamant. And so I told her, mom, you have some serious stuff going on. We need to move. Yeah. You can't live on your own. Uh, this isn't something that you're going to be able to get a procedure for and bounce back and keep going. And I think a part of her knew it, but a part of her was in such denial that she didn't want that to happen. If you can imagine you have your apartment, you have your job, everything's going along. And all of a sudden something just comes and sucks everything out. And you're like, what happened to my life? That was my mom. And so for that to happen so quickly, thank God she had me because I don't know what she would have done. Part of her was in denial, but the other part of her was very thankful that I was willing to come in. I would have done anything for my mom. And I did. I, I took yeah, her to, to the end. But the process, um, I remember when we left California and I looked over it in the passenger seat when she was sitting there and she looked so tiny. She looked like a child. And I thought, here we go. I'm, I'm bringing my mom to live in my home. We've gone through this before. We tried living together another time and it was disastrous, but I had to put all that aside and even set aside my own anxiety, my own fear of the unknown. All of that needed to be, it's almost like you compartmentalize things because you only have to focus on the immediate need of the next thing to get to the next thing. And so that's kind of the journey of the book is like, well, what happened after that? Well, what's, what's the next thing? So it's a progressive unfolding journey of from diagnosis to, to death really. Mm -hmm. And, and how, again, I go back to God because the things that happened, I don't, you know, if those testimonials were, speaking to you as far as how God continued to break through. Uh, he is the anchor in the storm. And that's what helped me to carry through because my boat was like all over the water. Like I, it, I didn't know. And so to bring her home, she was home. She was home with me. And then the work really began. Then the work began. It really did. And trying to 
provide your mom with the safety and security and the comfort to live out her days and how it impacted you again like as I'm reading it I'm so empathetic um, and I'm so saddened and it's really heartbreaking to you know read about and witness your mother's demise but I was always drawn back to you and how this, and, you know, you gave snippets about, you know, how you focused so much or how you were dedicated and you committed your life, that time period to take care of your mother and in ways that you let go of yourself, you know, and you didn't provide yourself with the support that you needed and your journey back, your journey back to yourself, your journey back. I mean, your journey to your faith never left. Your faith is what you what you say kept you. That that's what mm-hmm. actually kept you through until mm-hmm. the end. But um, you know, you're reaching out to your congregation and to your um, to your fellow friends to be able yeah. to offer support. But that wasn't at the very beginning. No, I was consumed with being a caregiver. It was my first rodeo, is what I say. Yeah. You know. I, and I had no way to prepare. I, I had friends who had gone through this or I'd heard stories, but personally, it's different when you're actually in it. So I, I didn't know what to expect. And it was consuming to the point where, when do I sleep? Uh, what if something happens? Where do I put her in my house? Where's the safest place? How do I safeguard her? Um, how do I feed her? You know, who can give me a 10 minute break if I'm so afraid to leave her on her own because something could happen. So the, the consuming emotional component along with, um, you know, financial stuff that was coming in, um, her, her refusal to get doctor's care. Thank God for hospice, because if it wasn't for that, I'm not sure what would have happened. Uh, but there's so many unknowns, Danielle, and I think that's where my story really banks on is the the unknowns. I had no idea from one day to the next what would happen. It was, it. I know I was drawn to each page and each part of your journey and the way that it was it was told. You know, I, it was your the way that you told your story. It was as things unfolded and I could sense that this was something that was very new and you've never done this before. So everything was new and you're taking the lead on it. And like you said, you know, having hospice there changing to have your mother have access to the bathroom or a commode closer to her. So you wouldn't have to worry about her in the middle of the night. So you were able to get rest. Right, right. You have to as a caregiver. It's hard at first. Well, it was for me because I, you're on alert. You know, when you have a, a, a new baby, you're on alert. You have the baby monitor. You're listening for their cry, any kind of noise in the bedroom. Sometimes you'll hear something and you run down there to make sure everything is okay. You kind of repeat that same scenario when you're caring for a loved one or an aging parent. It's that same kind of thing where you're on alert, you're on high alert. And that's what my life was. I didn't know how to manage sleep or time, when to rest. It felt like I was always on call, on call. And what I felt was really beautiful too, Lisa, was that in the times that your mom was really 
defiant and really angry and very dismissive and painful. Like that would have been very painful to witness. You're having a conversation with your mother and she just turns around and turns her back and she's not going to talk to you. And the rejection and, you know, tr- just wanting to hold her and, and be like, we're in this together. Cause like you said, you're going through just as much pain, you know, in this journey, it's like the, the prognosis has been on you as well, but in the same breath, the little things that she would say to you and, you know, thank you for taking care of her. And then how, you know, you looking at the things that she was doing for the nurses or how she would listen to nurses versus you and pushing you away. And it kind of goes along the sayings of, you know, when we're in pain, we take it out on the people who are closest to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you became her punching bank, her sounding board, her, she was angry and, you know, and I got that sense throughout the entire, but she was angry and she didn't know how to cope she didn't know how to cope with anything but there was and and without going into details you didn't even have to about there was such a period prior to this her entire existence Mm -hmm. that was filled with pain and resentment and anger and it kind of built up and it was just I had that sense that feeling behind it so when she was you know getting angry at you or she was so dismissive or so so, um, you know, again, just resistant to everything. I just had real compassion for you in those, in those moments. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because when things are good, things are good. So there were parts of my mom and our relationship that was amazing. And I would say to people, you know, this, I have the best mom in the whole world. Yeah. She's like, you know, two peas in a pod, she would always say. And, But then on the other side of that, sometimes disease and living in close quarters and being with each other day in and day out, it brings out the worst in both people. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. And because I'd gone through my own inner healing and transformation for years, where my mom didn't as much. And so I was handling things differently than I would have before the healing that I had received emotionally and relationally and so that also created a problem because I didn't handle things the same way that she knew that I would Mm -hmm. so she expected one way but when I went a different way and allowed her space and the grace to do what she needed to do she didn't like it because she wanted me to be in her dysfunction at times with her and I had learned that the way for me to maintain my peace and to keep tracking with God is sometimes we have to just kind of let go and go in a different direction um, and, and, and trust. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what that is, but she was, boy, it was tough. And I explained that in the book, you know, there's some areas where um, even the hospice people, they were like, wow, Lisa, you know, you, you've got your work cut out for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we feel for you because she was <laughs> oh she's tough cookie oh she your was mama tough. was a tough lady and she was not going to back down mm-hmm. and she really was defiant she was like she would put her foot down and, and I could feel that she was like there's no way you're gonna make right it. right and, and that triggered to, me brought yeah. the worst out in me and then pretty soon we had the worst in each other and that would collide and you know, I would just have to make space and and leave and and go for a drive or go outside for a minute. And I felt sorry for her at times because she was 
housebound. And so she didn't have the option of just getting in the car and leaving. Mm-hmm. And so the compassion then would come in and you struggle with a lot of things in caregiving, guilt and shame. And, you know, there's things that come into play that you have to kind of navigate through uh, all while trying to provide the highest of care possible in at times a really impossible situation. Do you think at the end of the day, her journey through it and her resistance or in denial or however it is that you believe it to be true, do you think that she was just scared? Do you think she was just really scared and knowing what was happening? Or do you think, because she she was very, she had a lot of faith as well. And you spoke about that in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you think that her, because she kept saying, I'm fine. And God is going to take care of me and I'm fine. And it's almost not a thing. So in those moments where she allowed herself to, you know, to know what was happening or to, you know, to surrender in a way to what was happening. And then she would quickly close the book and she'd just be like, nope, I'm fine. Everything is great. And you got snippets of it in the book. There really was these beautiful moments where she, you know, allowed you or any of the volunteers, the hospice workers to the medical staff to help her in those decisions that you knew that needed to be happened, but she needed to make them on her time. Yes. And I had, I learned good boundaries in a caregiving journey. When you're with a loved one, especially a parent and child, there has to be boundaries and they they have to be healthy. And even if the communication is difficult, you know, sometimes there may not be any communication. That's what happened with my mom and I, but when things needed to be talked about and handled with her care, I had to step up. And even in a healthy boundary, sometimes boundaries don't mean that you disconnect. Boundaries mean that you go in and you handle what needs to be handled. And then you're able to kind of pull back and allow that person to think about the information and they can make the choice. Yeah. Make it. Yeah, and that was, exactly. that was the best way for her because I could never tell her what to do. She wouldn't do it. But if I gave options and said, okay, it's A or B, now you choose. And that happened throughout the book as well of, um, I never wanted to remove her power of choice. I, at times I knew what was better for her. And if she would have done it my way, she would have had a better outcome. But the other side of me of being respectful and honoring to my mom is it's not up to me to make the choices for her, even though it's hard to watch those choices, she gets to make them and I will, I will, I will still be here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, as you know, towards the end of the book and towards the end of your mother's beautiful life and your time together and the transition and the transformation, and that was so deep and so beautiful what you got to witness happen. It it changed my life. You mentioned fear a minute ago, and uh, my mom had a lot of fear in her life. And so when this happened, she was good at masking it. And um, she told me, don't ever use the C word in my presence, which was cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I learned to pick and choose words. But the end of the book talks about a life after death encounter that I had alongside my mom. I've never seen anything like that. And it changed the core of who I am as far as my understanding of what happens when we leave this earth. It's a very powerful, real, evident thing that 
God displayed in his goodness to show his great love for his kids. That's what we are. We're his children. And so my mom, although she was not aware in those last few days of what was happening in the natural world here, I do believe that spiritually she knew what was happening. So towards the end, I believe all of that fear was completely dissolved and all that was left was her real core soul spirit that was able to rise up and and in an incredible display reveal who she really was under all that stuff. Yeah, it was so beautiful. It really was to be able to read about you know, the end of her life and about what you got to witness and how it brought peace and calm right across the board. It was incredible. I That's the whole reason I wrote the book. If the ending wouldn't have happened the way that it did, uh, it would have just been, you know, another book about caregiving, which has value. But what, what compelled me, and that's in the video that goes with the book, what mm. compelled me is what happened at the end. And I will do it all over again for the end. Now with the 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 lion, with the mm-hmm. lion that that showed you um, its face on the wall and your journey with the symbolism of a lion and the poem that your mother had written you, I thought that was really beautiful as well that um, she would write to you. You know, in her in 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 earlier times of her of your of your life and and um, of your relationship, and how she would write to you and um, recite poem, and I thought that was really beautiful. That how it all came together and showed you the way, and it showed you the proof of what you yeah. needed to. It did. I couldn't have orchestrated it. I mean, there were so many moving parts and components that came in at the end of her life with the lion and the poem and different things that I thought, you know, this has to be God because I can't, I can't orchestrate what's happening here. It's, it's supernatural. In 2005, uh, I was just kind of confused a little with God and, and really what was going on. And my mom called me one night and she read a poem to me called the bridge. She wrote hundreds of poems. She loved God high faith. Without her prayers, I probably wouldn't be here. And so, you know, that was hard too, because I'm like, well, come on, mama, you got all this faith and God and mm-hmm. we can heal and, you know, come on, let's activate like your core, like what we what we can do with this. And it, it just wasn't an option for her in, in the scheme of it all, but I knew who she was underneath. And so that poem that she read to me in 2005 called The Bridge um, it brought me back to the Lord. It, it brought me into a place with God where I'm like, wow, I, I need that in my life. And so we went on to produce a book of poetry for her. And uh, she would email me poems, just hundreds of different ones. And so when I found that particular poem that aligned with the lion and the symbol- symbolism and, and where she was at even back when she had written that poem in 2013. Um, it just, I was speechless. I, I just had to include it with the book because I knew that God had everything in his plan. And that gave me an incredible amount of peace. 
So where are you today? Like what's, how, how did you, because after your mom's passing and you took time and you had, you broke your arm. Mm-hmm. So, cause you knew at that time, when did you, okay. So when did you know you were going to write about her story, about your story? Uh, once the uh, coroner came and they took her body and all that was left was the hospital bed in the room and that image of the lion's face was still on the wall behind her and I heard God say write a book and I thought oh, okay <laughs> like, what do I do with that <laughs> like okay I'll, I'll work on that and so uh, and this was right around Christmas she passed on the 23rd of December. So, I mean, even the holidays to me, I I didn't even realize it was Christmas. I, Mm -hmm. there was so much going on. And so as I was leaving that, that room where she stayed, I heard the highest of care journey through cancer. And I thought, well, step one, I have a title Mm -hmm. (laughs) and now I have to write the book, but it was really difficult for me because that means I would have to rewrite the story yeah. of something that was incredibly painful for me. It, it took two and a half grieving. years. Well, your grieving started at the very beginning. You know, uh, my grieving was, was my grieving started in Arizona when I went to get her. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like when you went and got her and, but yet it still doesn't prepare you. It's not like the corner comes and gets your mom's body and then, well, okay, now we move on. Like another level of grieving happens at that time. Yes. And I think more people are going to end up taking care of their loved one in their home because a lot of loved ones, you know, they want to be home when they go. They don't want to be in a care center or a hospital, or if they had an option, they want to be home in their own bed, in their own surroundings, in their own, you know, if possible. And so after she passed away, I was still here in the home. So there were, her essence was still here and, and memories. And, and I would see flashbacks, you know, in my mind of her in the kitchen or um, in certain places downstairs in the house. And so in the grief, then that's mixed with the beautiful display of this lion and and this life after death encounter that I had with her. And so again, these worlds are colliding, like I'm, I'm trying to navigate through what's going on. And so I tried to write and it wasn't going well. (laughs) To be honest, I'm like, this is not going well. It was really hard. And so then when I had a fall, yeah, because you fell and, I, and you broke your your wrist. I broke my wrist. I a stepladder that I was on. I was trying to kill a spider on my ceiling one mm-hmm. night, and the stepladder it felt like it was pushed out from under me. Mm-hmm. And when I fell, I broke my wrist and injured my shoulder very badly, and I couldn't write for about almost five months. And I questioned God. I was like, "Well, you told me to do the book. You told me to write it. I have the story." I can't write. What what am I doing? And once I healed and I opened up the manuscript to take a look at it, Danielle, if if you would have read that as my book, you would have needed therapy. Yeah. (laughs) You would have been like, this is so raw. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe I had that four to five month time to heal and grieve. So that when I re entered the story, I could write it from a place that could help people rather than me just kind of telling you all my 
pain and yeah. there's there's no resolve in it. So the, that time for me was significant in healing. We all have different windows that we need for time for grief. And nobody is the same in that area. So I still grieve sometimes. It, it's like a little wave that comes up and I'm like, well, I mean, when I, when I got the first copy of the book in the mail, I, I held it to my heart and I, I wept. And so grief, it'll, it'll come, but it will pass. So for me, it, it was a journey to write the book about the journey. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was hard, but I knew people need to hear this, my story, but most importantly, they need to see where God is in my story and in their story. Okay, so that's going to actually bring me to Sozu. Yes. Tell Sozo. me about Sozu. Sozo is... Oh, so, inner, sorry, Sozo? Sozo, S-O-Z-O. Okay. And that is a Greek word in the New Testament that's used 110 times. And it's an inner healing ministry that helps to bring healing emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. So there's pathways to freedom. And doing this ministry for the last decade, I have helped hundreds of people achieve great breakthrough in not only their relationship with God, but with others and themselves. And so the purpose of Sozo is to help people engage with God relationally and not through religion. They're two different things. And the Sozo model has been around for quite some time, but I believe in integration because we need to be integrated and healed in those three areas emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. So I, I do that now. I have a master's in theology. I wanted to study the Bible and learn the original languages. I have a background and a bachelor's in psychology and biblical counseling. And then the 10 years of doing Sozo at my church here in Southern California. Um, I, love, I love seeing people get free and work through the issues knowing that we can navigate well if we're given the tools to do so. And so what, okay, I have, I have two questions. How does your mom come to you now? Oh, well, um, I don't focus on communicating with those who have passed. Um, that's not something that personally I think is, is a necessary thing. But there were a couple of things that happened um, with my mom. About a week after she passed, I was in the living room. And from a far away distant, her voice was not loud, but I could hear her. And all I heard was, it's so great. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and I was like, mom, like, what? <laughs> and that was it. And, and, but I knew, I knew that it was, I just knew in my spirit, like, it is so great. And she's filled with laughter. And then another time, uh, this was about a year ago, the room where she was at, the wall that I could see from the living room couch where I sit, um, it just looked like a wall. And looking through the doorway, it's dark at night. There's nobody in there anymore. 
And so I decided I was going to take the curtains off of the window, time for change, time to, you know, shift into the new. Mm-hmm. And Danielle, I took the curtains off the window and the porch light that began to shine in through the blinds of that window onto the wall where I saw my mom leave this world. The I wish you could come to my house. You got to come to my house. I'm going to come to your house. <laughs> the, the, the way that the light is coming and shining through the window is like this. That's what I see now at night when I look in that room. Oh, beautiful, Lisa. It just reminds me of it happened. All that is real. I was totally awake when it happened. It wasn't a dream. And it's, it's another way that God uses things in the natural to remind us of his presence and his promises. And so those are the two things that kind of pop out uh, as far as uh, reminders of my mom. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. <laughs> Thank um, thanks for sharing that. And um, we're going back to your services. And since, okay, so you've released this book. And yes. now it's it's got traction. That train is oh. coming. And I can imagine that you're getting a flood of people who are needing your help, mm-hmm. who are needing your guidance, who are needing your direction. Yes. Uh, Sozo ministry has always been very busy. And so things are happening where there's a need. I think I call 2020 the year of fear, uh, given all that happened. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that people now coming out of all of that, we've been through a lot of loss and there's been unprecedented things that have happened Mm -hmm. on the, on the planet. And so that's busy, but the book in and of itself, every person that's watched the video or read the book, they're, they're calling me radio, television, um, you know, maybe this could be a movie. And so I didn't expect this to happen. I thought, well, I just want to help people. And that's all I still want to do. But I knew that this message would would go to the world. Like God said, tell everyone I'm alive, I'm real, and I want them. And I thought, everyone? And so there were people on my email list where I was like, well, maybe not that person. They might not receive it. You know, I'll just put... And then God would say, everyone, everyone, tell everyone. And so as I'm doing that and sharing the book, uh, the video is so powerful. uh, It's causing things to really open and doors to open. And I'm excited. I'm excited, Danielle, because this is what I prayed for um, the last few years is that God would give me a platform so that I could show people and and give away what I know uh, about inner healing and the tools and the, and the process that I use. It's a beautiful, powerful thing. Uh, and I use it myself all the time, but also just to help caregivers to know they're not alone. They're not alone. You're never, never, never alone ever. And to give them hope and encouragement that this life is not all there is. There is so much more, and that is why we have hope, is because of what's to come once we're moving through this time of our lives of, of the next place. So 
I love to help people navigate through life, equip them, disciple them, um, and then love them. I just, I, I love people and I, I love to help them to achieve fr true freedom, lasting, lasting freedom and transformation. Oh, Lisa, I commend you. It was just such a pleasure really to read your book, to have conversation with you, to be in your presence, to soak up your energy and to, you know, and to, to, we're together, you know, on this journey. And it's such a great reminder that we are never alone ever. And it's so beautiful that you have built this platform that you are able to share with other, with others who need guidance and need support. Um, sozofreedom.com yes that's the website for the inner healing yep s-o-z-o freedom.com and the highest of care.com yep and people can point. reach out to you there learn your story watch the video the video is incredible that was the first thing that i saw and i was like i need to know this lady i need oh. to talk to her <laughs> because what you have been through is so relatable on so many levels and how you honor your mom. It's really beautiful. And I'm so sorry for your loss. I really am. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. But you have really honored her in sharing the story. Do. Still do. I'm honoring her now. You know, I share in the book that my last message to her, she couldn't hear me because she wasn't awake, but I knew she could hear me if that makes sense. And I wrote in the book, my last message to her, and that message is actually being played out now. And so I'm still honoring my mom. I'm still honoring her legacy and her life. And I will release um, the poems that she wrote. They are powerful. And I think poetry is such an important way to engage uh, in, with God. And just the, it's kind of a lost art almost. And I would love to share that as well so there's a lot more coming I keep and, doing it uh, keep sharing I just, your word I want to share yes keep sharing it with the world that's what you were instructed to do and you're carrying yeah. out what your purpose is yeah and I'm really thankful and thankful that you took the time to spend with me um and talking you. about this and sharing your story so we can further share it push it out People need to hear it. People need to be part of it. And if you please reach out to Lisa, if you um, are in a space of needing some support and needing some direction. So sozofreedom.com or reach out to Lisa on her website at thehighestofcare.com. Yes. Much love to you, Lisa. God bless you. And thank, thank you for you, sharing your story with me. God bless you too. Thank you. Be sure to check out our website at thegoldrunpodcast.com and our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. We love your feedback. Please send comments and suggestions to info at sagittariusway.com and hello at daniellefinley.com. Thank you for joining this week's conversation.